Blog Talk Radio. National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and I want to welcome the callers and the chatters, and I see chatters in the chat room, to research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. If you have logged in as a guest, and I see several guests in the chat room tonight, and you want to participate in the chat, please just sign in through your Facebook account or blog talk radio. I'm also going to open up the lines in the second half of the show so that you can call in and ask a question and make a comment. And then following the show, please continue this discussion on the AfroGenius.com and research at the National Archives and Beyond Facebook page. In fact, please like both pages. If you only know the name of a grandparent, then how do you go back three or four generations to find their slave ancestors? Kanetta Alexander shares touching stories of finding her slave ancestors going back three and four generations. With inspiration from journal entries of an antebellum slave account book written by slaveholder Daniel Graham, The Lives of Unrelated Slaves provides documentation of slave life from which Kanetta uses as her guidebook to find and document slaves. While making national presentations about the life of Matilda Graham, house slave, Kanetta tells the story of every house slave, calling out the last names of her slave ancestors, Clark, Miller, Mormon, Pia, Prince, Quinn, and Ramsey. With 20-plus years of genealogy digging, Kanetta has three projects, researching family, transcribing, and making public excerpts of the slave journal, and performing interpretive presentations about the lives of free persons of color and slaves. The focus of Kanetta's genealogy research is finding, documenting, and personalizing slaves, whether family or not. 
So let me give a warm welcome to Kanetta Simons Alexander to research at the National Archives and Beyond. Welcome, Kanetta. Thank you, Bernice. I am very excited to be on research at the National Archives and Beyond, and I'm honored as a Maggie alumna to share the skills I've learned from Maggie. These skills have helped me in finding our slaves. Well, I am really happy that you will have an opportunity to share with everyone how those skills that you picked up at Maggie assisted you in finding your slaves. So let's take a step back, though. How did you become interested in genealogy? Uh, First of all, I was just born with a curious spirit. But there are three incidents in my life that made an impact. When I was a young child, my father purchased a slave account book, and he showed it to us in some of the pages, but I was still a child and couldn't understand and comprehend. The next event was when my grandfather, English Simon's first cousin, came to visit us. And Minnie Simon's Williams was so excited. She traveled all over America, And when she would get into a new city, she would pull out a telephone directory and call people. Now, this was in the 60s, and say, are you related to Simons from South Carolina? Well, after she came to visit, my grandfather went to South Carolina for the last time. When he returned, he brought back an old, wooden, heavy spinning wheel. I was very curious about the spinning wheel because I'd already started weaving. So um, by 1990, Cousin Minnie published her family research. She's our first family historian and genealogist. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time I saw pictures of my family. In fact, my great-grandparents, grandfather's parents, and even a second-great-grandmother. So that, you know, it builds excitement. I I want to know more about these pictures and these people. But Cousin Minnie, in her book, she shared cemetery churches, landings, stories, and letters. Well, do you realize, I mean, I'm listening to you, and I am just excited just to hear that your father purchased you said purchased a slave account book. Where? Where did he get it from? What state? My, we went to Nashville then, and my father loved reading. Both parents did. And he would take us to this old, dusty, musty-smelling bookstore as he uh-huh. searched through books related to African-American history. So when the booksellers would find something unique, they would call him and let him know. That is wonderful. That's how he purchased it. And then I like your Aunt Minnie. I mean, pulling (laughs) out a telephone directory and going through the directory to find your surname, to find out if they are related. Well, did she ever find anyone as she went through the phone book? She was in California visiting family. She went to the dentist's office. And she saw a magazine called The Message Magazine. 
Mm-hmm. She glanced through it and she saw that the photographer's name was A.R. Simons. And she sent him a letter asking, is he from South Carolina? He said, well, my father and my brother were born there. She said, well, I'm looking for a doc, D-O-C, Simons. He said, oh, I don't know any doc. So he said, let me give you my grand, uh, my father's telephone number. She called English, and they were chatting, and he, she said, uh, do you know a doc, Simons? Well, grandfather laughed. He said, that was my nickname in South Carolina. So that's how she came to visit, to reconnect with a cousin she had played with as a child. Oh, I love that story. And tell us a little bit more about this spinning wheel. Oh, I love the spinning wheel. You'll see a picture of me in a pink top. The wheel behind me is my spinning wheel. And I'm grinning because my aunt, who inherited the spinning wheel from her father, English, gave it to me when she last moved. The spinning wheel belonged to Louisa, my third great-grandmother. And she was married to Anderson Qualls. And I have that documented in the 1830 census. It appears Mm -hmm. Anderson Qualls and a female and a child and four children that, hmm, this matches up with documentation. I later discovered and documented her life. So the spinning wheel does belong to a slave, but I'm going to save the second part of that story for later. All right. Well, before you're right, save it for later because we want you to help build us up, you know, get us going. So what influenced you to focus on slaves? When I started my genealogy research in the late 80s, I'd always heard the family stories on both sides. We were not slaves. And when I started my research and through the sentences, I went back to the early 1800s or even late 1700s and did verify the family, the last names that I knew then. They were free people of color. I was raised in the South, so my education was that we were all slaves. That was mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. But when my family is telling me we were, we were not slaves, it didn't click. It didn't connect. So I still wondered, well, where are the slaves? That's all I've heard all my life. I was proud and happy to know that my family had other opportunities, but I just wanted to find the slaves. So going back to Dad's family, the family I knew the best, had more contact with the aunts and uncles that could share stories and pictures, I still could not find that slave. Mm Mm-hmm. So take us through that whole process for searching for, uh, you know, your ancestral link to slaves and the family because obviously, although you did say you found free people of color, you still had this strong belief that there were enslaved people in your family. So take us through that process. And this is a process that perhaps others will want to take note of how you went about finding your slave. Well, I was so frustrated that I asked my father if I could use his slave account book just to see if I could find any clues 
any documentation, something to help me find my slaves. Because we know as free people of color, generally we do not find the maiden names of our ancestors. So I started transcribing Daniel's slave records first by spreadsheet. I've been an analyst, so I see by rows and columns. I first entered all the slave names, over 100 people. Then I entered when the year they were born, the year he purchased them, whether they were hired out. Then I started going back again and saying, okay, let me transcribe each page because each slave was assigned one page. And I'll give you an example of how he entered the journal entry for Matilda, 1826, Matilda, in large letters, 23 January, about 11 years old. Whoa, he's giving me her birth date. For Edie, Matilda, and Monroe, ah, he's telling me who else was purchased with Matilda. He paid $1,000 for all three slaves. Then he said, see bill of sale for Edie, number 11, for Matilda's number two. He starts his first entry for 1826 by saying May 1 to Nashville and employed as a house girl. The second entry didn't occur until 1830, and he said about September 1, returned with us to Rutherford County in the same capacity. Two years later is the third entry. It said December 22, married Creed. Now, so, I have to stop you for a second. Mm-hmm. I have to stop you okay. for a second because I have a few questions coming out of the chat. So what yes. you're now telling us is the entries of the book that your father purchased from this old bookstore. Is this what we're hearing right now? That is correct. So you're saying that the document that your father purchased was your own family or another family? This was a total strange family who lived in Nashville. Okay. okay. But just because it was an historical, African-American historical book, my father purchased it. And what you're sharing with us is the information in that book, which is not necessarily your biological family. No, and I'm glad you mentioned that because in Daniel Graham, he was a slaveholder. In his records, he indicated purchasing an 18-month-old toddler, a 5-year-old girl, an 8-year-old boy, 11-year-old boy. Who did he give those children to? The toddler could not take care of herself, nor the 5- or 8-year-old child. So I assume he placed that child into the hands of a slave family. So when I look at my research, I have to be open and say, oh, this person may not connect to me biologically from a slave family. But suppose that 18-month-old toddler was my blood ancestor, but your slave ancestor raised and fed and loved him then you are my family. We may not have that biological connection, 
but you took care of him. You became his mother and father, your ancestors, to my Okay. Okay, so I am following you. So you have this book, and so many people, when they start searching for enslaved ancestors, they may not have what you have. And what you have is a document to give the listeners an example of what is what they could find if they found such a document that, that would correct. list the names of so I, I'm I'm following you completely. But before you continue, I wanna take you mm-hmm. in another direction for a second. Okay. Let's say you you are still searching for your slave ancestor. And you yes. have managed to get to the 1870 census, where a lot yes. of people of African descent have managed to go. However, you want to continue to look. Help the, the listeners understand what process would you go through to help them start looking in 1860, 1850, what, what, what would you tell them to do? If they know the city or township and county where their ancestor was in 1870, mm-hmm. I would start looking just at who are the neighbors five pages before and five pages after. Just look at those names. Who's free, as in black or mulatto? Who's white? What is their value and wealth? Then go back to the 1860 census and see if you find that same community by last name. In the 1860, we're fortunate just to be able to go to the 1860 slave schedule and find the names of slaveholders in the community. You'll have to go through every one. Now, what I'm finding, I, I did not find up. A Paul, a Simon, a Harris, the names I knew, but I still kept the list, the 1860 slave schedule list of every slaveholder in the county where my ancestor lived. Okay. So from there, by getting a hands-on experience with the grand slave records, pulling their documentation, I was able to see I need to go to the county, go to the index book, the earliest index book, and just look for last names. But if you go to the index book for the deed and you start saying, okay, who are the people within this area, and just flip through the pages sometimes. You don't see a last name you recognize, um, as in my maiden name is Simon. I don't see any Simon slaveholders, but I know from the community, the township especially, where my Simons lived, maybe there was someone else who lived close to my family that had a large value of property, land, real estate. Oh, I will go and search through them. But we're fortunate in South Carolina, their state archives has an online digital index record. So you can pull up a lot of the last names of people there, and they'll say, oh, there's a deed book. Um, Here's an online image of that record. 
And in the index, it will give you the name. They'll say, yes, and in a will. Oh, in this will, they're mentioned, and they will list everybody's name who's listed in that will. So you don't have a connection right now between your family last name and the slaveholders because sometimes we chose different names. Maybe we chose the last name of the first slaveholder for our family so that we could reconnect. All right. Now, I have a comment coming out uh, from uh, Cindy. And Cindy is saying, well, the slave account books give a great example of thinking outside of the box. That is, do you know slaves were hired out? And many people don't, yes. you know, don't, don't, don't realize that. And so she's just, you know, talking and, and sharing some of her ideas. Um, yes. Now, <clears throat> With the Grand Slave Records, he was the secretary of, second secretary of state for Tennessee, the first mm-hmm. comptroller. So he was signing land warrants. In 1838, he knew Arkansas had just become a state, and he was assigning property over in Arkansas. They needed the lands cleared. So mm-hmm. Daniel Graham sent at least 30 of his slaves, hired them out, over to Arkansas to clear land, for eight years. Slavery was a business, and the slaveholders approached it in that manner as in, what inventory do I have, what skills do I have, and how can I improve my investment? That's right. That's right. And so what you're saying is that, of course, while you may use the census, you cannot forget that slavery was a business. And so everything was documented, everything. Yes, tax records. um, In the slave narrative, there was a slave of the peas, and he said, look, no matter what anybody tells you, every slaveholder, whether they had one, 100, or 1,000 slaves, had a record an account book of every slave because they had to use it, one, to prove this is my slave and not my neighbor's. Second, they had to pay taxes on the slaves. And three, they just needed to keep up with them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so every what, record that's in the county, I, I look at. <laughs> every every record. record. That's right. Court minutes because there may be a dispute between two slaveholders over one slave. And one of the things, and, you you, you know, you mentioned Maggie, so I'm just going to bring it up, the Midwest and African American Genealogy Society, you were exposed to this whole concept of so what? So what if yes, you find a, right? so what if you found a court record? Tell us what would you be looking for in that court record? My first instructor wore me out. I thought I had a lot of information on the grand slave records and was proud and brought my records. And she looked at me and she said, "Very good. Oh, interesting. But so what?" <laughs> at first, for a few minutes, I was deflated. But then I realized after going through her instruction, she was trying to teach me to think beyond. She wasn't going to hold my hand and say, now these are the one, two, three, four steps, but I want you to open your mind and look at other resources. 
And you have a question com- coming out of the chat. Are wills usually the only document that mentions slave names? No. State records, every deed, as in a gift deed, a bill of sale, manumission deed, slave registers, estates, taxes, every record a county records may have information about a slave. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean it has it about our slaves, but sometimes in working with Graham slave records, I found if when I was looking up this other unrelated family, I found information and tools which would help me search for my family. So uh, that's how I say every document, and especially if you know the slaveholder's name. Right, but, but if you don't know, yeah. You have if to you take don't, a page at a time. That's you right. have to take a page at a time. Know the community and surrounding community. Because my South Carolina family, um, they're in Fairfield, Kershaw, and Richland in a triangle. But the mm-hmm. Kershaw family is right on the border of Fairfield. Third great grandfather had property that were in both counties, one piece of land. So expanding our horizons. Definitely. And and of course I'm going back to so what? So we have okay. so what? So what is next? So what do you do next? So what else is there to find? And then of course oh. You look at all the documents and understand the laws. And these are comments coming out of the the chat room. And understand the laws and why the documents were created. Analyze the documents line by line. These are all of your your Maggie people here giving you tips and and, and, and just sharing, 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 which is wonderful. Every resource that you can, it's important to join genealogy societies. Attend every free meeting in your town that you can. Even if your family is, I don't have family from Nashville, Tennessee, but I attend every county, city conference they have, especially if it's free, because I'm learning something. Even if it's um, the Confederate veterans, I go to that meeting. I know I have a Confederate in my family, but they were the slaveholders and they hold records that may pertain to my slave. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, now, we're going to take a quick break, because when we come back here, I want you to go back and reference okay. researching the Graham slave records and give us yes. some of your hands-on experience that you went through in analyzing the Graham slave records. So we're going to take a quick okay. break, and we'll be right back, Okay. Thanks, Bernice.
to research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, where I will have an expert to share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy questions. All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio and iTunes. Uh, You can also find the archive shows on my website, www.JeannieBRoots.com. Now, I have opened up the lines for those of you that would like to call in and make a comment or ask a question. And while we're waiting for you to call in, I want Kanetta to just reference back to researching the Graham slave records and give us several examples of how the hands-on experience helped her understand the records. Uh, We'll go back, Bernice, to using Matilda as an example. He gave the year she was purchased and the year she was born. He gave the date. So I knew by the bill of sale, go to the county deeds office, and look for the bill of sale in January 1826. He also referenced two other persons, so verify that they're also listed in that deed, because sometimes they may have more than one bill of sale. When he discusses 1826, she went with us to Nashville. That let me know he originally was in Rutherford, Murray and Rutherford County, close to Nashville. Mm-hmm. So when he says May 1 went to Nashville, I knew to start searching documentation for Daniel Graham, who was then the Secretary of State, coming to Nashville. He was a Secretary of State. The state capital had moved from Rutherford County to Nashville. 1830, she returned back to Rutherford County. When I researched um, deeds, or information records that the state government moved back to Rutherford, I found out Graham's father-in-law was sick, and he assumed the responsibility as an, his older son. Now, you said you I found went, out. How did you find out? Uh, newspaper articles. Okay. State legislative papers. There was a legislative paper that indicated they were paying for his rent on a house by that year in that location. So I was looking at late um, legislative papers, which would be state papers. Mm-hmm. And for slaves, sometimes if they were petitioning for freedom or there was a lawsuit, it could go up to a state level. So we have to look at state documents also related to the last name, if we know the slaveholder or the slave last name, or even the slave's first name. Okay. Because sometimes um, documents, as in my third great-grandmother on my mother's side, I found her manumission papers by her first name only, no last name. So don't be afraid and scared to look. If you knew your slave ancestor was Helen, look up just Helen. 
And then what what other evidence do you use to support that that Helen is your Helen as opposed to someone else's Helen? Enslaved research is tricky because most genealogy books will say you go in a chronological order. Um, slave research is like a roller coaster. You go up and down. You can have sharp turns and a loop. And sometimes you have to get off the roller coaster and start back again. So I just start mainly with the township and the community. And find who are these people in the community. Because by 1870, the communities weren't that large. Mm -hmm. 1860 documentation is even better because the slaves were not included in the census. So the population is lower. So if you research everybody, unfortunately, it's tedious. It took me 15 years to document the first one. But it's a slow process, but I think if you're consistent and checking as many documents as you can, and with the help now on Facebook, we have so many genealogy sites, books, societies, they will help you. Well, we have a question coming out of the chat. Did you put your yes. all of the data of the enslaved families into a database or a spreadsheet? Yes, I did. Keep track. Well, tell us about the database. The database started with 10 columns. It now has 33 because I was able to first put in the slave's name, Kanetta. Then when she, the year she was purchased, the year she was born. Then I put in the year she died, and then as I started transcribing the records, I put in who she married, who her children were who were her parents or guardians. Then I noticed some were hired out, some were punished, some died. The column grew and grew. That's when I started actually going back and transcribing it page by page. And as you transcribe page by page, what kinds of information came forth? The slaves had families. He would give even the month and day and year a child was born, their name. It showed how slaveholders could change the names of people at his whim. It showed punishment, some that ran away, those that were hired out, where they were working. But I think the most amazing part to me was the skills. He hired mainly most of his slaves out, but they were skilled masons. They worked on building the rocks where in Nashville there's a plantation called Bellmead Plantation, mm -hmm. and they have a rock wall that goes for miles. Graham's slaves helped build that rock wall, or they worked on turnpikes. So you can find in county records, they'll say, well, Mr. Graham, you are responsible for helping with the roads. Well, Mr. Graham, in turn, would put his slaves to work building new roads. So that's another document, county document to look at. Right. Well, Everybody, did you find any uh – -huh. there's, a, there's a question coming out of the chat, and they would like to know if you found any information in Bible or just personal records 
None. None. The only personal record that I have um, would be for Daniel Graham, his account book. For my family, none. None. Because uh, the old house was burned or they had so many children, we don't know who inherited the record. My family in South Carolina believed in the minimum amount of children you have is 12. So 12 by 12 by 12, who gets what? Uh, <laughs> and then the family migrates out. If well, you're lucky to have a family Bible, you're blessed. Yes, you are. Well, you do have a question coming in. And uh, it's area code 301. You're live. Do you have a question or a comment? I do. Hello, Bernice. Hello, Kanetta. This is Angela. Hello. Hi, speaking. Angela. Hi, Hi, Angela. Hi. Thank you so much, Kanetta, for sharing your phenomenal research. My God, 20 years. It just sounds daunting, but it's just fabulous to hear someone that had that type of tenacity to do such research. Um, one question, question that I have came to mind. Did you ever find any words from the actual slaves themselves, like petitions or any letters? Can you share that with us if you did find anything like that in their own words? And thank you so much, and I'll hang up now and listen in. Okay. No, I, to date I haven't found any personal records uh, for petitions. Um, not in their handwriting or their letter. I do have copies of three persons of color, their guardian deeds, where they go and request the state's permission to have a white guardian who will verify they are of good character and would be responsible for locating them if something happened, but nothing in their own handwriting. And where did you find the Gordian deeds? And uh, and the county records of South Carolina in Kershaw County. I happened to go online. Now, Angela, in fact, is the one that shared University of North Carolina. I think it's Greenville. Their online slave American slave index, and it said slave index, and I'm like, oh, my family were free. But I went and looked, and I searched the name Harris, and it pulled up Guardian Deed for Holland Harris. Well, that was Mm -hmm. my second Mm great-grandfather. When I went to the county archives to pull his documentation, and in fact it was the state archives, they brought down the box, and they were going to pull the one document that I needed. So I I had to ask permission, may I go through the box to see if there are additional family members? In the box of 30 guardianship papers, 17 of them were related to my family. So I have discovered that uh, we have to know what to ask and ask, is there more? May I see it? How can I access that record? And then uh, after you, you, obviously your brain is just churning as you're in the, the various uh, repositories seeking additional information. Is there a way that you can look online to see what's available before you actually make that trip and have the list of questions you want to ask about your, the documents that you're seeking? Yes, I would say I have been pretty much successful 50% of the time, mainly because South Carolina 
has excellent record keeping at mm-hmm. the state archives. But what I'm finding, sometimes it's on microfiche, you have to order it, even to look at the box, and I'm just visiting for a few days. So I go, I find when I go to the county records, they're original, and they have more documents than the state archives. Yes. And you yes. can spend more time, and you can ask, well, have you heard of this family? Do you know this record, how I can find it? Whereas sometimes the um, state archive staff are overwhelmed. They have so My. many records. Yes. Now, you have several questions, again, coming out of the chat room, so I'm just going to... I'll read you some of the questions. Uh, One of the questions is, have you been in contact with any Graham descendants? No, I have not. And I have been working diligently, and I think I need to take um, a session with Janice Minor Fortke to uh, find them. I've looked at the 1870 census. Mm Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. did not choose I should have to go Graham. In eighteen sixty two when the Union occupied Nashville, slaves were still held under bondage because there were no laws for a Union state to emancipate slaves. So Graham's slaves ran away. They left the plantation. And uh, I could think since the Union Army could send them back to their slaveholders. They chose another name. Yes, but what about Graham, uh, descendants of Graham, not descendants of Graham slaves, but descendants of Graham, the slave owner? Daniel Graham did not have any children through his marriage. Okay, okay. Or other family members, to your knowledge? No. Well, let's go back to some of your own family research. Uh, Help us uh, or share with us some of the interesting documents of clues, like in a will with lots of info that you may have found on your own family in in that research. Okay, we'll go back to the spinning wheel and Louisa. Okay. Louisa was married to Anderson Qualls. And I know in the 1850 census the children she had. In 1870, Anderson died. He had over a thousand acres in 1850, so he had an estate. In his estate, he listed five children because in the 1850 census most of them were grown. Only one was living with them. And in his estate papers, he mentioned the spinning wheel, one spinning wheel worth of $1. But he said, the spinning wheel is to go to my granddaughter, Letty Elizabeth. Letty Elizabeth was my great-grandmother, mother of my grandfather. So Mm -hmm. that made the connection there. But a cousin researcher, and thank heaven for your cousin, he called me and said, Oh, I found the death certificate for Penelope. Penelope was the last daughter of Louisa and Anderson. He said, I found a death certificate, and it has Louisa's maiden name as P, P-E-A-Y. I mainly call it P-A here in Nashville, but in South Carolina we call it P. 
so then I started my research again on, oh, who are the peace slaveholders in this area? Boom. There it was. You'll see a picture on the slide of a gentleman in a black and white photo. Yes. That is Austin Ford P., the slaveholder of my third great-grandmother, Louisa. He died in 1841. In his will, he had hundreds of slaves. He was one of the largest slaveholders in South Carolina. But on page 7, item 12, he gives instructions to his son to free eight slaves, eight out of over 300. They were Amy, Nellie, Louisa, and her five children, Elizabeth, Robin, John, George, and Sarah. Those were the exact names that Anderson Qualls listed in his estate papers. So that matched the family up that this Louisa was the slave of Austin P. And how long did it take you to find this? Louisa was the first slave I found. My mother's family was a lot more difficult because that's the one where I only knew the name of my grandfather, Uh Morton Andrew McQuarrie. Now, McQuarrie is a hard name to search. Mm-hmm. But after my grandmother died, mother was going through her papers and found her father's death certificate. And she said, oh, here's my father's death certificate. Well, Shelly, I did feel stupid because all along I had my mother's birth certificate, which listed where my grandfather was born, Jefferson City, Missouri. Okay. So I looked for McQuarrie's, Jefferson City, Missouri. I found a McClary, Andrew, and his wife. And from that document, I was able to go back by the census because they were free people of color and found the emancipation papers for my third great grandparents and their children. So I found the slaveholder's manumission paper for my third great grandfather, in which he says, I am freeing my faithful. Son, Elijah. Now, I had seen several documentation by the slaveholder. He never said son. He would say boy, girl, or slave. Unfortunately for a lot of our family that's slaves, in my case, I don't have something tangible to touch. For the quals, I can walk on the ground of the peas in the quals in South Carolina. Google Maps. Thank you, Google Maps. In Jefferson City, Missouri, I do have the tombstone. There's a picture of me and a tombstone. That's my third great-grandmother's tombstone. She was freed as a washerwoman. She purchased property within three months of her freedom, three lots in the city. Then she freed later her husband and two sons. Now, that blew the archive staff away in Missouri because they said, first, she was a woman purchasing property. They said, we've never seen this. Mm-hmm. Second, she was a former slave. Within three months after she's freed, she's buying property? From documenting, um, and going to Maggie, one of my instructors, Shelly, She asked me during class, well, are you going to try and find the will of your third great-grandfather? And I said, well, he was a former slave. He was black. It was against the law, and I have other deeds to pull. 
From St. Louis, Lenagia is held. Jefferson City is only two and a half hours by road. Shelly called me five times from St. Louis to Addison. Well, have you thought about trying to see if there's a will for your third great grandmother? I came up with this excuse several times. Mm-hmm. Out of the 23 deeds I needed to pull in Jefferson City, Missouri, the machine was broken, they lost the microfish, someone else was using the microfish, or the microfish that I needed to use on a certain machine, it wouldn't work. Finally, I asked her, well, can you help me see if there's a will for my third great-grandfather? Within a minute, she returned and said, yes. Let's go to volume, page, and there, in the will of my third great-grandfather, listed his children, it verified. But it also said, and two daughters from another union. He gave their names, Judy, Sally, and but he said who their slaveholders were and where they lived, the state. Well, just um, a few days after posting the promo for Finding Our Slaves, a genealogist contacted me, giving me Texas African-American slavery resources in Houston County. I said, well, Houston County does not, I don't have any relatives that I know of there, but wait, that county is near Houston. So I turned and just Googled that county can American genealogy resources. The third post, now this was just Sunday, said Prince, Betsy Prince, Betsy was the daughter of the slaveholder. The slaveholder was the father of Judy's. Uh, he was the father of Judy's father. So, in essence, Jonathan Ramsey was giving as a gift deed his granddaughter to his daughter. That was overwhelming. And this but just I, happened I, Sunday. Sunday from posting Finding Our Plays at the National Archives and Beyond. Wonderful. Now, all since posting Finding Our Plays, I have two more family connections, Simons and Qualls. Yes. They've contacted me, and I said, can I get back to you on Friday morning? <laughs> but, you know, when I, when I look back on all of my research, it's overwhelming. I always wanted to find a slave, just find a slave, just like I started putting in names in my family tree, just names, names. But then I found, when I found these slaves, we had something in common. I liked to weave, like my third great-grandmother, Louisa, and the spinning wheel. With my third great-grandmother, Violet, in Missouri, I liked to wash clothes. She was a washerwoman. Mm-hmm. Oh, it connected me. I don't have to touch the cloth or maybe see her handwriting. I have inherited a part of her. Now, the last time I, um, last year when I attended Maggie for the first time, I was leaving and I stopped halfway just to check my email. And I went online and I typed in the name of the slaveholder and and just put slaveholder and slave, the slaveholder's name. And I came across a post by a young lady named Cindy, and she 
also had information of the slaveholder and her family. I immediately sent off an email to this Cindy, thinking, oh, her email is three years old. Uh, chances, maybe she changed her email, but I wasn't going to take a chance. I sent it off. By the time I arrived back in Nashville, she had replied. And she said, yes, Jonathan Ramsey was, tried to be, maybe was, a slaveholder of my Ramsey family. His father were owners of my family. Well, Jonathan and his father had migrated to Missouri together, lived near one another, and shared slaves. So from last year until this year, just like with my South Carolina family, we have been working together, sharing information. I don't have all my South Carolina family on my trees because I know if I'm looking for a Chavis, I'll call the Chavis family researcher. If I'm looking for Canty, Simons, we have one master collector. Uh, family is important. So I... I Cindy contacts me. We've been working for the last year. Last month, I had an opportunity to meet her in person. It was eerie. Oh, wow. Characteristics we share, yes. Mm -hmm. I asked her not to call in because I said, Cindy, if you call in, I'll cry. It's overwhelming to look at someone, see the characteristics, uh, body language, the joking, the laughter. In researching our slaves, we're finding who we are. Yes, we are. Yes, you are so right. And I know there's somebody in the chat room that's saying, shh, but I'm going to tell. Cindy is in the chat room. Oh, <laughs> I'm telling on her. <laughs> She's in the chat room. Well, would you believe we're getting close to the end? And I want it's you to enjoyable. Take, yeah, just share with with your collective wisdom. Please sum up for those that are searching for their slaves. Please give them your words of wisdom so that they could go to the levels that you have in finding your second, third, and fourth grandparents? Even if you can't find your family, your slave, you will connect to family. And through family, you are finding out more about your ancestor because we share, whether it's, oh, we have a, a nose, we have a same type of illness, we like to eat or do something. Uh, my South Carolina, we we love farming. We love the outdoors. I don't know my Missouri family, but I'm getting to know them through Cindy. Search. Keep searching. But by honoring our ancestors, we uplift our beings because we're incorporating their wisdom, their strength, and their skills, and we carry it on. Okay, you've heard. Keep searching. <laughs> Keep searching, right? That's right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. Well, next it's week, everyone. Honor. Oh, yes. 
Next week, we're going to have a, a show on Louisiana research with Judy Riffle. And Judy is going to join us in the chat room. So for those of you wanting to know more about Louisiana research, and I can tell you there are a lot of resources there, we're going to have Judy with us. So she'll be answering your questions back and forth in the chat room as the show is being broadcast. So good night, everyone, and oh, thank you so much, Kanetta, for coming on. And remember, your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, research at the National Archives and beyond. You can continue this discussion on the research at the National Archives and Beyond and the Afrogenius Facebook pages. And also, remember to listen to the African Roots podcast with Angela Walton Raji on Friday morning and Nurturing Our Roots with Antoinette Harrell on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Thank you for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond, Blog Talk Radio, this show is sponsored by your host, Bernice Bennett, BB's Genealogy and Educational Services, website, www.geniebroots.com. I look forward to you joining me next week. Good night. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett. Good night, everyone.